All of us believe something about the end of the world. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. Eschatology means the study of the end times. I'm really getting nervous here about what are we going to do? We, we, I'm useless. I know how to use a spreadsheet. We dismiss it as someone else's business. He's talking about the tribulation period. All hell is going to break loose on earth. In other words, no matter how bad things are right now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And this podcast is all about eschatology and what people really believe about the end of the world. And I'll be joined by my great friend, Pete Milner, who is a master of theology, a great student of history, and just a great thinker and all-round good egg. So join me in this exciting adventure. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode five of our podcast called Eschatology. And once again, I'm joined by Pete Milner. Hi, everyone. And today we're going to be looking at the Doomsday Preppers. Yes. So they, like all the other groups we've looked at, have strong beliefs that things are going to come to the to an end and there's going to be an end to the way things are and that's going to be precipitated by some sort of disaster. And rather than Russian militarism or caliphate restoration... They're usually much more small term, aren't we? So we're talking about the people who are preparing for the end of days mm-hmm. by focusing in on the local That's and right. the family and the survival. Taking side of care of themselves and maybe their immediate network. Yeah. Yeah. And so an interesting observation is that one person's outworking of their own eschatological belief system... Mm-hmm may well be <clears throat> fuel that drives somebody else's because they're in response to that. So, for example, Mr. Putin's threats yeah. to swamp Britain with a nuclear tidal wave will only add fuel to the passion in the hearts of Brits who are preparing for nuclear war. Yes, and nuclear that's holocaust. been a deal since the 40s, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. The idea that these bombs and these armories are so powerful now that fighting doesn't even matter. You know, if you can level a city or a county <coughs> with one weapon, then it's not going to be about whether we can fight the enemy if they invade. It's about what will we do if everything is gone. Yeah. You know, The banks are gone, the shops are gone, the trucks are gone, the boats are gone, everything's gone. Yeah, no 4G or 5G. No. Well, (laughs) we'll leave aside their beliefs about what there might be in 5G. Oh my, yes. So the the world of doomsday preppers is no longer just a bunch of survivalists and conspiracy theorists hidden somewhere in Nevada. But a recent Pew Research poll of more than 10,000 adults found that 4 in 10 Americans feel we are living in the end times currently and that doomsday is coming. Mm -hmm. The PayPal founder Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley entrepreneur Sam Altman said they agreed on a plan to escape to a property in New Zealand in the event of a calamity. Rising S, a Texas-based purveyor of luxury bunkers, offers an aristocrat model for 9.6 million. (laughs) 
That mm-hmm. bunker comes with a swimming pool, a bowling alley, along with a motor cave exit, and bullet-resistant, um, among other am- amenities. And the company is thriving. Especially in New Zealand, as of April 2020, it had shipped and built 10 bunkers. As of 2022, General Manager Gary Lynch told thedailymail.com it had built 14 in the country and had two more on order for delivery next year. So this is not just people who feel like they don't have much power and they only think on the small term. Mm -hmm. This is people thinking in the tens of millions of dollars of things they'd be prepared to do in preparation for this thing they think might happen. These are people who believe their own survival mm-hmm. is very important for the survival of the human race, I guess. And very the, much. their intellectual capacity and property and all the rest of it. Um, the resource that they personally are is worth preserving. Yes. For, yeah. <laughs> I had a conversation with someone a while ago. Yeah, what are you going to do if a zombie outbreak Oops. happens? Sorry, I'm smirking. over the world. And I said, probably die in the first wave, gratefully and swiftly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'll be dead and in heaven. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I like about yeah. scratching a living so much. Oh, my. But I'll tell you what, Paul. I think this is probably worth looking at together. Is this... Because we're focusing on in on the people rather than one belief system, yep. really, we've got to find common threads amongst a very, very wide reach of, of things. Diverse so people. Where might the end of the world come from? Well, it might come from jihadists or ecological catastrophe yep. or Russian nuclear war or, or any other of the things that we've looked at so yep. far. But it might be a solar flare, it might be an earthquake, it might be a banking system collapse, it might be a fuel shortage crisis that just kind of compounds. And the reason this whole thing about survivalism and prepping is so persuasive to people is because they have become aware of quite how many possible avenues there might be for the end of the world. It doesn't matter how... What matters is what you're going to do about it. And I guess it's no surprise, therefore, that COVID-19 has been a huge contributor to driving the whole interest in that kind of thing. And people took very different lifestyles on briefly for a period of time, didn't they? Mm. And became much more interested in baking sourdough bread and rearing chickens Mm. than they did about travelling on the tube to their sort of shiny office yeah, in London looking or for credit cards yeah. yeah because we were in lockdown weren't we and you had one opportunity to get food for the day and if you didn't get enough that day that which was is a kind a of bunker mentality isn't it very much lockdown. yeah, yeah. You, you can see I mean I remember watching I don't know if you've seen the TV show Doomsday Preppers I don't suppose I haven't really watched it. List the outlet that you can watch it on but it was a series that was out it was an American series I think it came out in around here in 2014. Well, my wife and I watched it and we really enjoyed it. And the it just basically zooms in on people who are doomsday prepping. Right. And they kind of give them an interview and say, what are you prepping for? And every one of them listed a different thing that might happen. Right. Which they were trying to prepare for. An existential for. threat. Going exactly. back to our recipe. That's yeah. right. So they've got an existential threat. And they feel that they've got their reasons for thinking why that one particularly is is coming and why it's nigh. And then what they were going to do about it really, really ranged as well. So 
you had people who planned to be able to survive a few days, a few weeks, a few months, and then a few years if there was no supply, no banks, no mm. airdrops, no nothing. And the thing that really struck me was actually quite a lot of them I felt were relatively reasonable. Yeah. You know, if you live in the like not super flaky. Yeah, no, if yeah. you live in the Rocky Mountains, it might snow so much that you can't get trucks sure. in for a week or two and you should have a plan about what you're going to are you going to have a generator or access to fuel or access to food or access to um, clean drinking water. You know, that that end of it, you can see the wide 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 appeal, but mm-hmm. the people who sort of already assigned roles as to who's going to be the general and who's going to be the colonel and wow. who's going to recruit and who's going to shoot the bad guys and who's going to defend in the age of our children to follow after us because we're going to have this farmstead belonging yeah. to our family tribe for Gosh. decades to come. That was where I started to go, wow, okay. these people are really, really taking this seriously. Yeah. Much more than just surviving a blip they're talking about the permanent collapse of the western capitalist international order of nations and everything wow there was a time in history when there was a big uh destruction of a city and cities and the people all fled to a place where they built a kind of utopian place called Tabor. Do you know of that? Tabor. The Taborites or Taborites. And they had this idea that they, it was all on them to build... Re- build a better world yeah, after the yeah, old one yeah, had yeah. fallen apart. And thing. they named it Tabor because it was after the Mount of Transfiguration which, and that they were going to build this new kind of heavenly environment so these are people in bohemia or the what we now call the czech republic who tried to kind of run away from the modern things and rebuild an ideal settlement somewhere else i mean a little like the amish for the yeah. time um but so what i'm saying is it's not a new phenomenon to have this idea that we're going to have to start again, start yeah. again fresh. And I mean, even the New World was, you know, yeah, the Americas the were, and, were seen uh, as an opportunity to start from scratch and build the whole thing fresh. Yes. And the Amish and Mennonite people who sat there in, in the sort of a couple of hundred years after that are still there today, aren't they? Still yeah. living off grid, still living with the same philosophy in with, with yeah. modern life. Yeah. And they even had the kind of prophetic kind of words going along even around the time of Christopher Columbus mm-hmm. that this was God's opportunity to create this heavenly reality we on the escape earth escape all our problems and live simple live local yeah. live free yeah and it's I mean I don't know about you but it's quite attractive isn't it there's definitely an attraction to it I mean anyone who's had to have an overdraft fee knows that it would be much better if we lived without modern banks. And anyone who's had to sort of suffer from shortages of food or medicine knows that, you know, the simple life would be way better. And I mean, money and business and politics do seem like a dreadful and unnecessary chore when all your basic needs are already met. 
And I think the sort of what brings home the point is um, how quickly problems follow when people do try and do this. You know, yes. There's always a sense in which actually really they rely on the international order of things just as much as the rest of us. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting, isn't it? And so the list of things that you've talked about, I think, are, are common uh, sources of anxiety. Mm hmm. Um, including super volcano eruptions and the whole lot. Yeah. Um, but since COVID nineteen, apparently there's been a fifty percent of increase in the number of Canadians joining the preppers and survivalists of Canada, for example. Wow. While Australia has reported a doom boom with hundreds of thousands fleeing in COVID flight to live off grid. And in the UK, mm. there's been a definite moving away from the sort of rural centres and Scotland has become pretty popular as a destination. Yeah, anywhere that's far away <coughs> from an urban centre and the airports and things where you think, I'll just finally be able to have my little Garden of Eden, you know, my little secret place where we'll be safe. Yeah. And so you can, I mean, you can go online now and watch YouTubers, can't you? Mm -hmm. Giving you the definitive list of things a prepper should have in there. Yeah. Endless supplies of batteries and yes, stuff. Yes, yeah, oh gosh, the batteries will be hard. And you've got a myriad movies as well, haven't you? Giving you examples of, you know, a zombie attack, alien space invasion, you know, big disaster where people had to survive yeah and a lot of people take notes from these films really oh yeah that's like a good a fence idea like that or <laughs> yeah. you know oh that's the kind of gun i need you know no, wow. i don't need one of the guns i've got i need one of wow. these other ones and you know oh what about electric fencing what about power supply what about could i use a big wrench and turn the gas on at the local central depot stuff like that where people are watching films and then just thinking uh, yeah, that's something I think I'd like to imitate as a yeah. thing I'd like to follow because I want to have a... Uncertainty makes people feel scared, doesn't it? It mm. makes them feel like, oh, the unknown is what drives the fear. But we both know people personally, don't mm -hmm. we, who are anxious. Yep. And... Prepping. Prepping. Absolutely, yeah. yeah and planning taking... for what will I do if all of this hits the fan so yeah. to borrow the proverb and everything stops what will i do and people we know think seriously about what they will do and have made plans and committed financial resources to making sure that their plan is strong to them yeah work. i mean i was talking to anna my wife about the whole thing about mm -hmm. whether what actually you can do in the face of a potential nuclear strike or mm. even fallout from one that's going on somewhere else in Europe sort of thing and it's actually quite difficult it's difficult not to feel completely powerless in the face of that kind of thing and just wish for a speedy end isn't it sure like I said you know yeah <laughs> swiftly and in the first wave yeah and um, I, I guess and and it, it's a psychological thing isn't it it's a question do I have what it takes to survive do I have what it takes to endure, you know, will I be destroyed by the first serious thing that comes my way or will I rise above it? And people put a lot of stock in their own individual personal ability to overcome great adversity, yeah. partly because of a wider kind of philosophical thing that exists in our culture about individualism, I think. And it's like, 
Well, the thing that makes me feel the safest, and this is speaking as me, the thing that meets, makes me feel the safest is robust civic structures, strong, diverse supply chains, and actually we're stronger, more resilient, wealthier, safer than we have ever been right now, yeah. actually. Even with COVID, even with Ukraine, even with Brexit or whatever else you'd, you'd like to kind of call in to back you up. You know, if you lived in 1944 in Europe, there was a very, very, very high chance that you'd die. If you live in Europe in 2024, you're going to find yourself without those sorts of problems, probably, in almost all countries, mm -hmm. almost all of the time. You know, the, the, the need for an individual to be able to defy the odds and overcome and start afresh, you know, this, I, I think of it as being highly suspicious. Right. It, because it's got a kind of folklore type of feel to it, is that? I think it's because I'm doubtful about individualism. As oh, a whole. I see. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think you need community. We need society. Yeah. We no, need I get the point. Other people, and we need kind of to to connect. You know, that's part of what we yeah. are as people. Yeah. I just don't think that that pull up the drawbridge and defend our own at all costs. The Englishman's just house is his castle. Yeah. Yeah. I think the. <laughs> There'll be a Jerusalem without walls. and uh, That's such an interesting one, isn't it? We won't have anything to fear. That'll be a better future. So I think from, if we're going to sort of angle it, Chris, obviously Pete and I are fully Christian and believing Jesus and mm. his promises and so on. So I guess from a Christian pastoral um, perspective, my, I suppose my instinct would be to get to encourage people to keep their sights set on the prize mm. which is the same whether we die no. early seemingly Middle, or later or late. yeah in our life ex normal life expectancy and that that is that when this life is over we we inherit an everlasting life mm. that and an inheritance that doesn't spoil or fade and it's not under threat from some crazy despot or Solar a horrible or virus or something. something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm trying to resist my urge to be simplistic about it yeah. because these things are complicated. Yeah. You, know, you need to have a decent plan for food and water and shelter and stuff. That's why we have homes <coughs> and water bills yes. and stuff at the moment, isn't it? So yeah. I'm not rubbishing the whole thing, but I do think that we need to ask ourselves what will be the character and what will be my character and nature in this time, mm. you know, if, if everything were to go to pot. Because to me, following Jesus has always been about trying to be like Jesus and uh -huh. letting him live through me. And I just don't find him saying enough of the time that it's time to build lots of walls, hide in bunkers, get mm -hmm. your guns and get ready to fight. Yeah. And, and you know, die and, and resist all of that stuff. I see lots of things about helping strangers and foreigners, lots of things about loving people who are downtrodden, people who, who need our love and care and getting out there and, and sharing the good news with everyone. Yeah. And, and actually being a solution where there is a problem. Yeah. Because we've got, uh, a different view of our own life we kind of feel like we're not here just for ourselves so yeah, we're right. here to give our lives away mm. in some to some extent hence our 
kind of involvement in Ukraine and those kinds of things. We Jesus models giving his life away for us. So yes. we also then respond by giving our lives away for others. Mm. And not taking stupid risks no. with our lives, but also not loving our lives so as to shrink from death mm-hmm. and to not be ruled by fear and not to be ruled by anxiety and worry. All yeah. of these things, the New Testament speaks so clearly, doesn't it, for us to let go of these things. Cast your anxieties upon yeah. Jesus. You know, I tell you the truth, do not worry about what you will eat or where you will live. Our Heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air, yeah. clothes the flowers of the field. We have nothing to fear. And so if the Spirit does not give me a, a, a kind of fear but of power of love and a sound mind i think best way to meet for me to meet this year next year and any eventuality is to double down on what i'm sure the gospel tells me to do um in whatever circumstance i find myself you know maybe think more like a missionary and less like Mm -hmm. a person in a castle yeah no i like that i think that's really good uh, a good perspective shift and I guess we know that a fair few people listening to this will probably be Christians anyway sure. and will be coming from a Christian perspective. And I think if you are feeling that anxiety of what if this happens and what if that happens, um, we would encourage you to continue to live according to those principles that you've become confident in and established in. And that is that we don't, we're not anxious about what we're going to eat or what Mm. we're going to drink or what we're going to wear and consider the birds of the field and so on and so on. Um, I I remember doing a parenting course years ago and one of the things they talked about was control and the need for control. mm -hmm. And they said, a person will kill or die for a strong sense of control. And people need that feeling that they have choices and, and they need it very much. And in families where control is taken away from children and everything is you must, you must, you must, you must, the children kind of will inevitably push and pull against that in an Mm. attempt to escape it. Because how horrible to live Mm. a life with no choices and no feeling of autonomy and no ability to have or exercise freedom. And I think life is a little like that in general, isn't it? And when when I kind of watch TV or I meet someone who's got a bag under their bed for the first few days and a bomb shelter or a garage for the next few weeks and a piece of farmland they've earmarked for crop growage for the Mm -hmm. next few years when when i see that i think this is a person who wants a feeling of control in a perilous circumstance where most of their choices are taken away yeah and i think i have a huge amount of sympathy for it because we all need that don't we if people try and take away our freedom or they take away our rights or they take away our values we do feel immediately very defensive, don't mm-hmm. we? And we feel strongly that something must be done. And I suppose what we call prepping is a very complex group of things which are arranged as an answer to that question. What will I do? Yeah, and I mean, surely it's it's good to have some primary skills, like how to start a fire hmm? in a, you know, how to <laughs> proper a way. Pipe. Yes, how to, you know, manage some of the things that hmm. we might, normally outsourced to somebody who's qualified it might well pay us to be a little bit prepared and learn some first aid and those kinds of things um i see in in sweden the whole government is relying on 
the members of the public to be prepared and have sent a booklet into schools teaching kids how to cope in a in a situation of social collapse or mm. threat of war and 20% of Swedes currently are preppers wow. um, 4 million Swedes received this booklet urging them to be prepared for terror attacks school mm. shootings wars etc particularly the threat of a Russian attack because they have a border with Russia don't they sure and they're recently joining NATO or haven't quite yet as time of recording and their home guard makes up half of Sweden's national defence strategy so yeah. they are very um, and there is a there is a persuasive logic mm. about the whole thing and I think that so say you're in Sweden yeah and you've been told to be prepared well mm -hmm. surely then as a citizen of that country you should follow the guidance and yep. be a good citizen but also be ready to look for those ways that as a christian you can bring something extra yeah. to the equation so for example in response to the ukraine the russian invasion of ukraine mm -hmm. we went across it with you and i yes. in march 2022 um literally two or three weeks after the it invasion started, yeah. and what can we where we rock up and to serve what can we yeah. do to actually help we end up being able to do significantly more than we ever imagined we'd be able to yeah. do building up centers in the country for internally yeah. displaced persons Delivering which is tons upon tons of aid yeah and food and still in use today yeah and very effectively but you know, because we teamed up with other Christian organizations that were already there. We've seen in Ukraine an incredible um, response from the churches because obviously some people literally fled the country in those first 48 hours <clears throat> before the, they started thinking, hold on, we're losing all our fighting force here. Mm. Um, and so many pastors and leaders left, zipped off to America and Europe and stuff. But the ones who stayed rose up kind of on the inside and said, I'm going to be part of the solution here. Yeah. And maybe they didn't take up weapons, but they began, some did, mm. and some had to, but others became part of the supply chain, getting aid across from the West, yeah. right into the East, into the stricken areas, mm. risking their lives continually yeah. to do that under fire, and um, under threat of you know all kinds of attack mm. and i love that personally i love that response i think it's that plucky spirit that is determined not to yield and determined yeah. to try and find a way through for not just yourself but for others it's like the same thing with the early apostles isn't it yeah. we they were commanded to stop speaking in the name of jesus the minute they got out of prison, what did they do? Find a public place and start speaking about <laughs> Jesus. And I think, like, surely that's yeah. the spirit of a true disciple is someone who can say, yes, I'm fearful. Yes, I don't know what's ahead of me. Yes, but actually, do you know what? Mm, I'm going to rise up on the inside and trust that God is bigger than this situation and that I have a part to play in it that is not just defensive, but is actually creative yeah something about building a better world 
I just wanted to go back to a point, Paul, about <laughs> um, food chains and, and supply chains mm-hmm. of food and things like that. Because one of the things that we noticed in our conversation um, a few weeks ago about the ecologists and oh, yeah. the way that yeah. they have their own kind of eschatology, their mm-hmm. own beliefs about the end and what we could be doing about it. I noticed a while ago that many of the preppers that I had seen um, looked a lot like smallholders. Right. And, you know, if you can get a piece of land and get chickens or maybe sheep or, yes. um, you know, plant crops, grow fruit, things like that, try and um, localize your food um, network, that it will be more dependable in the state of a big emergency. You know, like Winston Churchill, you know, um, dig for dig victory, for victory yeah. right? If we all grow potatoes in our garden, we won't have to keep importing wheat from the USA or from anywhere else. And that will mean we can feed ourselves and not have to get so many boats into the water. And I've noticed that within prepping and within the sort of ecological community, there's a big overlap here where right. um, the suggestion is, could we all benefit from our food being more local? Yeah. And I have some great sympathy sure. for that. You know, I think yeah, that absolutely. I love the idea of, of um, growing local, eating local, you know. Eating seasonable. Yeah. And yeah. it's like I like vegetables and I like meat and I like everything. And some things can be grown all the time, but other things need to come in in their season. And would we all benefit from letting go of the sort of immaculate supermarket foods that came yeah. from thousands of miles away? Yeah. And going back to something a little bit more local, maybe... That's fair. I mean, I think we probably would. I grew up on that diet. I mean, literally, my dad used to grow vegetables in the garden. We ate those. Mm-hmm. The greengrocers only sold what was seasonably ava- season seasonally available, and uh, you know that I I think I grew up meat? pretty healthy. Yeah, we had uh, some animals out the back, some beef cattle. Mm-hmm. Um, we were fortunate enough to have an acre or two of land that we could run some cattle on. And we we live very simply but very healthily. Yeah. And if yeah. you compare that with the kind of deep fried something or other that oh, came from thousands yeah. of miles away. Yeah. yeah. You, Manufactured be, food. Yeah. Like the factory food on the one side and then the imported food that's all got to come from the Pacific yeah. or from Africa or yeah. from somewhere else to come perfectly ripe and out of season. Yeah. You just think, well, Maybe this is a, a, a bit of an error in our Western yeah. thinking. Maybe it's wrong to expect to have unlimited access to things like that all the time. Um, yeah. But who knows what the future yeah. of that is. So I guess what we're saying is if you are a follower of Jesus, you do have a hope which goes beyond this life. So mm. even whatever threats are up ahead, and there may well be some we haven't foreseen, haven't spoken of. We're not suggesting that the answer to dealing with those things is to get yourself some assault rifles and dig yourself in. (laughs) Not at all. Rather, just to be ready in our hearts to be disciples in whatever situation we're in, learn what we can, become part of the solution rather than the problem. Yeah. And not to become a slave again to fear. Yeah, come on. Because we can live that life of power and love and a sound mind yeah. um, because of the Holy Spirit. And whatever is to come, the church has been through plenty already, hasn't it? You yeah. Know, they, there's been terrors in the night. There's been pogroms. Oh there's goodness. been persecutions. Absolutely. Been shortages. There's been emigrations. There's been flights at night and refugee status. And 
I, it's very difficult because, I mean, right now, both of us are, what you could say, comfortably well off, safe yeah. on an island where there isn't a war. And mm-hmm. it's all very well to say that here. But um, it's worth kind of remembering that it's not that long ago that we were both in Ukraine or yeah. um, in other countries where there's considerably higher levels of risk. And mm-hmm. I, I genuinely want to support you in that belief that we can be part of any solution. We can yeah. be... Um, clarion callers for all of our most important values and that itself is a form of prepping isn't it yeah, it's about yeah. meeting the challenge ahead of time thinking about how am I going to live in yeah. this circumstance or that circumstance yeah. or what am I going to do today with Jesus and follow him yeah good so I'm just going to pray we haven't mm. done that on any of these um, eschatology series yet but i feel like we've touched something you know that sense of anxiety so if that's you and you're feeling a degree of anxiety and even if you feel a little bit like oh pete and paul you're not taking it seriously enough Mm. i'd love to just uh bless you today with by praying for you and just if you want to put your hand on your heart and we'll just say jesus will you come you're the god of peace you're the prince of peace I ask you, Lord, to keep my heart in peace and give me wisdom and give me poise. Whatever comes our way, my way, the way of my family, the way of my nation. And let me be a true disciple, a true son or daughter of the kingdom Mm. and bring those kingdom realities to bear whatever is going on out there all around me. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. And we want to bless our friends in Ukraine, encourage you and cheer you on. Yeah. And our friends in Sri Lanka with runaway inflation and just wherever you listen around the world, just to say we love you guys and we're cheering you on. Yeah. And yeah. Bless you to be part of the solution. Indeed. God give you wisdom and strength and provide what you need. Amen. Amen.